This is Mind Raid with the Koch brothers. Guys, welcome to Mind Raid episode three. Um, we're uh, having to do this guerrilla style because apparently I didn't have my shit together when I planned the audio portion of this venture. But uh, our, our our great friend Bo uh, is graciously hosting us today, and we are going to go into the hybrid faction era of kind of our MMA story. Bo is one of the very first people to to do this. Bo has since acquired a national championship at the IBJJF and uh, has a decorated professional MMA career uh, and now trains consistently and has been a huge help in, in building this team over the years. So, Bo, thanks for having us at your house, and uh, uh, thanks for everything. I mean, what we're going to talk about this, this story. Um, we, bro, the last show that we talked about, we talked about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, we've mentioned Biggie every single podcast, so we might as well say shout out to Biggie again. Uh, and where we left off was this wild west of MMA, right? And Bo, uh, you were a part of those early days of MMA when it wasn't really regulated and it was kind of crazy. But what I'm really interested in hearing is, uh, and Bo, you can, or Eric, you can add to this, who was Bo before Bo started training? Who's great. the bow? I don't know. Yeah, great, great question. Um, I would say, like a lot of young men, I was pretty insecure. Um, I thought I was tough. I was a pretty decent athlete. Um, but I didn't know who I was. You know, I had a lot of energy, and I didn't know what to do with it. Again, like a lot of young men. So... You know, I got into, after high school, was um, drinking quite a bit, partying yeah. quite a bit. Familiar story. Um, eating a lot as well. I remember going back to my high school, um, like for football games after I graduated, and um, one of the teachers, Dan Duello actually. Duello. He, he goes up to me and goes, God, you're looking fat. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I try to play it off. I go, How do you uh, play that I, no, I go, yeah, I've been lifting quite a bit. He <laughs> points at my belly. He points at my stomach. So <laughs> after high school, I ballooned up to like 215 pounds. Wow. Man. I remember stepping on the scale and seeing 215 and being like, what the hell? And I tried going for a run after that. Mm-hmm. And I make it like a mile and get the little side ache. The cramp. It's like, let's yeah. just walk this one out. <laughs> but um, yeah, so spending my time doing a lot of things that weren't very productive that was Bo before um before you met him and then meeting you um you guys at mcleod yep i remember this is something i've been thinking about knowing we're going to do this the very first time i saw you you're walking with melissa mason oh yeah and you looked like an extremely confident happy person yeah I was like, why the fuck's he so confident? <laughs> this is something that happens all the time. 
People don't like the way so I look. Yeah. What's this guy? Why is this guy so fucking yeah. happy? Piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, sorry, go on. But yeah, that was uh, that was kind of a picture, a snapshot of me um, as a youngster. Like, I think one of the things um, that I had in my benefit was I hated losing. Mm. You know, like we were talking, just getting this ping pong table. Um, I was like thinking about how I got decent at ping pong and it was going over to my friend's house, getting annihilated in ping pong and being like, let's play one more, let's play one more Mm -hmm. and making like small progressions and trying to get better and better. So I always had kind of a competitive will or a competitive edge. Um, but I just had nowhere, no outlet for it. Yeah. Do you remember the first day? Oh yeah, I what, remember it. What describe the first day and like, because um, were you on my team? You were on my team, right? I was on. Who was the other guy? Sears. Sears. Ryan, Ryan Sears, Sears team. team. Yeah. So um, I don't even know how we talked about it. Do mm-hmm. you remember how it, did I, I approach you about it? So it happened like this, and it's hilarious. We were in those tables, those rows of tables. Yeah. It weren't. It wasn't cu- cubicles, but rows of tables. Ro- rows upon rows, like a sea <laughs> yeah. of tables on the sales floor. One thing about getting there at McLeod, so we're working second shift, and everyone was, it was like a, a different dialect. Oh, so large. Oh, so large. Everyone had the... <laughs> There was like this huge click of people. It was weird, man. It was really weird. And so I got to know Devin and you a little mm-hmm. bit. Devin was very outgoing. So one day in particular, I'll never forget this. He goes, Keone, you're 155, so you're a lightweight. Um, and I'd known you guys were training. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was like I was a couple days in and I'd known, known you were training and was interested in it, like most people would be, but too chicken shit to really approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Devin's like, Keone, you're a lightweight. I'm 170. So I'm our welterweight. And he goes, Bo, what do you weigh? You go, uh, I don't know about 185. I was probably 190, 185 at the time. Baby fat. And, um, he goes, okay, you're a middleweight. I'm like, what? he just decided. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just decided. So, yeah. Devin kind of decided for me. And I had, um, moved to Cedar Rapids within a, a month's time, a month or a little longer of uh, taking that job. And I'd re- re- kind of run out of excuses of why I couldn't go because I didn't have a commute. I didn't have to go back to Vinton. Mm. So I was like, yeah, I'll go check it out. You know, so I, sh- I show up and we do push. Pl- it was me, you, Eric, Debo. Lennox was there. Mm. I remember seeing Lennox and being like, he was super nice, like almost to the point where you're like, especially if it's a good looking, in shape person like Lennox. Um, Chiseled so, features. Yeah. He, <laughs> so wait a minute, just before we go. So Lennox was there the first day you were there? Yep. So this is this messes with my mind because I always saw you. I thought, yeah, I thought you started no, before Lennox started. That's wild, man. That blows Damn. my mind. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I had the, just uh, the opposite order. I thought the Lennox yeah. was the last dude. But... If I remember correct, it was close. It was really it was close. close. Yeah, he just started, yeah. and um, and and he was super nice to the point where I thought it was like a fake nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how's it going? And then, um, so we do push poles, mm-hmm. and we do probably ten minutes of push poles, trying to get under hooks. Yeah. 
And after that 10 minutes, I am completely gassed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like looking at the clock, because you had that clock, remember? Mm -hmm. That small little clock. And seeing that it only 10 minutes had gone by. (laughs) Oh, shit. It's going to be a long I'm in for it here. Um, And I, that, the uh, Lombardi quote that fatigue makes cowards of us all kind of popped into my head. And I was like, well, I definitely feel like being a coward right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so warm ups, and I was zapped, completely done. After that, I think you asked what we wanted to do, and um, we ended up doing stand up, mm-hmm. which was always good. You know, I always preferred to do stand up because I thought, I thought I was decent mm-hmm. <laughs> at stand up, and um, got head kicked by Eric, got head kicked by a sixteen year old kid. And that was probably the one thing that stuck out in my head was like, I need to start coming. I need to keep coming back to this mm-hmm. because I have a kid who can exploit me physically. Yeah. Well, and that's why I got involved in martial arts because when I was a kid, I felt like I could be exploited. And uh, that when I was really young, that really, really pissed, pissed me off. It made me feel powerless to a certain degree. And that's what kind of led me to martial arts in the first place. Um. After that first, did when did you know that you wanted to compete, or 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 how did that all unfold? Yeah. Because Devin calls me one day on the way to Des Moines and says, "I'm fighting this guy named Warfrog, Ronnie <laughs> Britt, who's like yep. 40 and has a hundred fights or some shit." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Well, Debo, why don't you pump the brakes on this for a minute? He was already on his way." Mm-hmm. Um, how did that play out for you? When did you realize you wanted to fight at least test yourself and? Uh, how did that whole thing shake out? Well, first, I was on the way with Devin to Des Moines. Right. To I remember him. you on the call. Yeah. <laughs> the me one. and Stefan yeah. Poland. I think you called me. Stefan was there? Yeah. Me and Stefan Poland um, cornered Devin, and he did the Wanderlei oh, yeah. hand thing. Yep. Before oh, yeah. Right. And they also made a nickname up for him. He They called him the Mad Mangolian. The Mad Mangolian. <laughs> he, he didn't provide a, uh, a, a nickname. nickname. Was that or, a Papa Schnocky thing? Yeah. Of yeah. course it was. No nickname. I don't think he had a song either, so they chose his, his walkout song and also called him the Mad Mangolian. Um, but as far as me wanting to compete, I think that it's unique because I was completely happy with a participation trophy for showing up mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and training with you guys. So... Competing never really crept into my mind until I saw some level of proficiency. Some level where I was able to survive nights and not get completely ground into the mat. Because we didn't know how good anybody was, really. No. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew at the time. Mm -hmm. We knew that the guys at the top of the sport were good. But we had a hard time, I feel like, basing our level of talent. One... Because most of what we learned was self-taught. We didn't, you know, we had no frame of reference, really. And two, there was really nobody around here. Um, Militich was the closest big option that people had. And there were some good people in Des Moines as well. But we didn't really know how good we are. We just knew that uh, we had to train really, really, really hard in order to compete with these people because we were kind of at a deficit. Um, when you got there, did we have the hybrid logo up yet? Nope. That big circle, we didn't have that on the, the door? The hybrid um, name wasn't created at the time. The, it, that was after everybody was there, yep. right? And then we, I remember we painted that on the front door, so we had this hybrid faction. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the logo itself was kind of patterned off of the bottom of a bullet. 
if I don't know if you guys remember that, but I kind of tried to design it that way. But do you remember what the hybrid faction was all about? Like why we picked that name? What what the re- the story behind it was? So I remember we Unless were working. Sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. We were working, and you sent out a list of like ideas for names. How we uh, land, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How we actually landed on hybrid faction, I don't I don't remember the specifics. I think I think I do. I think cuz we were talking about it. I think we all liked hybrid faction. It had like it wasn't too long. It was short, you know. Um and it was one faction cuz we wanted it to be known as a club. We knew we weren't a big team. But we were a consistent mm-hmm. team, and everybody brought something different. That's right. So why we, the hybrid, we, you know, and this is before MMA was even getting Style-wise. as mixed as it was. Right. People still had their styles. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I remember having the talk where we're like, you know, um, me, I'm super flexible, you know, did Taekwondo, I can kick. You know, Keone's been rolling longer than all of us on the ground. He's, you know, the most proficient. Linux got the wrestling from Linux. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Debo, the same thing, long, lengthy. and uh, Yeah, Debo was like uh, a hard style matchup because he was long and lanky. He had these super, super long legs, but he also had a, a real underrated striking game. Mm-hmm. He underrated it mm-hmm. himself. I'll talk to him about that too. Well, and Debo, Debo had... Some people, and and I still I still believe in this, um, as much as I've learned striking. Some people just hit stiff. Yeah. They they have stiff punches that you wouldn't think would be hard. You're like, what yeah, the hell was that? You know. And Debo had a good good jab. Yeah. Um, and then but yeah, and then going back to Bo, Bo even standing Bo gave everybody the most problems because he was long and he knew how to use his hands. Well, and I remember us having this conversation where we recognized these differences and these strengths and we kind of went, we kind of recognized that we were stronger because of these differences than mm-hmm. we were if we were all the same people. Yeah. This hybrid style gave us kind of a diverse look at combat, which um, at the time I feel like we were pretty open-minded uh, because one of the things we did a lot of the times was pride rules. We, yeah. we relished, we loved that shit. We loved it when somebody goes pride rules, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, for the people that might not know this or remember pride rules meant that, uh, you know, stomps, soccer kicks and knees to the head were, al- were allowed on the ground. 10 minute rounds, 10 minute <laughs> rounds. And I, I think, or more, mm-hmm. um, I think that that kind of training, you guys can weigh in on this too, but I think that kind of training where somebody has you in a front headlock and you have to worry about them, Mark Coleman hammering your head with knees, mm-hmm. you develop a real strong sense of urgency in that situation. Mm-hmm. If somebody has you in a front headlock and you know they can rain down knees on the back of your skull, you move like yesterday. You move right now. Mm-hmm. You, you have to. You don't have any choice. So well, it, even, it reiterates that combat. Even... uh Going back to the basement, you know, especially when you start, when you start martial arts, just like anything, when you don't know, when you don't know anything, your mind's a sponge when you start learning. Yeah. You learn a lot of the stuff that you keep with you in the beginning. And it all go back to my last fight. I've been training 
for years. You know, trained at Rufus Sport. Lifetime. It got gotten a lot better. But if you look back at my last fight, that's old school hybrid shit. Yeah, it is. And Keone was yelling it. Yeah, th- that's that's what it was. It was okay. I'm gonna put you against the fence. You're letting me do it, and I'm just gonna grind the hell out of you. Yep. You know, and wearing on people. Yeah, and that's and and I think having that small space, I honestly think that was the best thing because yeah. I think we learned a lot still in the clinch. Yeah. There's not many people I know, other than like your top guys like Ben, at, best, like Astrid and stuff like guys, that. Yeah. Like when I feel comfortable clinching with anybody. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that that. I think it goes without saying that your last fight was proof that you're able to inflict that style. You're able to take a fight, per you personally, you're able mm-hmm. to drag a fight into dirty territory when mm-hmm. you're at weight, when yeah. you're comfortable, yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. strong. And, and I think a lot of people will, that's where we've talked about in the past and we talked about in hybrid, that's where people that cut weight will falter. Mm-hmm. If, they have to, if they have to endure these long, grueling clinches mm-hmm. with people wearing on their guts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we loved that stuff. We really prided ourselves on, uh, you know, our ability to grind people to dust. And that's exactly what we did. We got kind of looks of that, too, when people that we worked with would, you know, come and train. Because you and Devin comprised half the team. But we had many more people than that that came in to try yeah. their hand so with many. us mm-hmm. at McLeod USA. Some of them were later fired for Fight drinking club. on the job. And drinking and fighting on the job. <laughs> drinking and fighting on the job about their bench press. And we're not kidding. Uh, I'm, I was I was a supervisor to both of these people. And they were kind enough to do this uh, during the birth of my son. So I was out uh, in the hospital with my wife when she was giving birth to Ronan. And this guy who actually later was, he was the guy that actually brought Lennox to us. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. remember that. I I'm didn't, not, yeah. didn't not going to name his name, but um, he has a penchant for saying, exactly, <laughs> exactly, right? So this guy uh, and uh, another guy, I'm not going to name his name, but he also came down to train and both of those guys got their asses whooped and both of those guys thought that they wouldn't. They got in a fight while I was out with Ronan being born uh, about the bench press. Yes, I was. I semi officiated that fight. I went outside for it. It's good that they had a referee. <laughs> I went outside for it, and one of the um, so they started drinking together. They that were putting, yeah, they were putting vodka in like Gatorade Frost. Big gulp, huh? <laughs> and we're drinking and laughing about it. Everything's good to to start, and then by break two. 15, 15 minute break number two, they're looking at videos and start talking. It starts getting a little bit chippy, a little bit back and forth, and they get into bench press. Who can bench press more? Uh-oh. And then it, them's fighting words. So they go outside, and one of them shoots in on the legs, and he grabs a front headlock and defends, and he taps, literally taps, goes, that's enough, to a front headlock. Whoa. I remember the security guard running out and, and uh, screaming, "No, no!" Oh, the yeah, the, uh, the Chinese guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, don't do it, uh, dude. The McLeod USA, okay. McLeod USA deserves its own podcast. This place. I'm, I'm just going to share a little story about McLeod USA. This environment where Bo and I worked. Um, there was no effective management of this place whatsoever. We had daily meetings where these managers said the exact same things over and over and over and over. 
it, about uh, middle of the day, when uh, when the when the two or three acting supervisors that were there, one of whom's name's Dan McDaniel, rest in peace, he's a good dude. As soon as they would turn, all at the same time, and look away from their respective employees, who were harbored in these, like Bo was talking about, these sea, this sea of like rows of desks, the most boring environment ever. When these supervisors would turn and look away, their employees would use hollowed out pens to shoot plastic pellets at each other that they had gutted from McLeod USA sales, uh, sales gifts. You remember the Beanie Babies? Mm-hmm. So they, we would gut these things out and then hollow pens shoot and them. then use them to shoot people. Well, there's, it's just so happened today's a special day. There was a guy that, that was, uh, he's a contrarian. I'm just going to say he's a contrarian. We all know the online contrarian mm-hmm. that fights just a fight or picks. Well, he was he was back at it today after all these years. And they used to call this guy Fathead. And now, uh, I don't want to offend anybody who's overweight or get upset, but he had a roll in the back of his head, a wrinkle, mm-hmm. right? And he wasn't really a, a, too heavy of a guy, but he had this wrinkle in the back of his head. They called him Fathead, and he knew about it. One time, I shot one of these pellets, and it stuck right into that wrinkle. <laughs> it stayed there for like two... You know who I'm talking about? I don't think I knew the guy. Mitch. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Mitch. Mitch the Contrarian showed up again. Hey, shout out to Mitch. Sorry about sticking that thing in your face. <laughs> um, anyway, so back to the basement. Uh, Bo, what are some of the most vivid memories you have uh, in the basement or... Some of the most ex- extreme examples of uh, what we put ourselves down or through down there. Okay. A vivid memory, and I don't know if you remember this, Eric, but... I think you're going to say the one that I was going to say are myself. You, are we talking about the triple threat? Dude. I was hoping that was going to get brought is, up. Is this the guillotine yeah. city? Okay. Let me let me take that. Let me take that. <laughs> we need two takes, ladies let me, and gentlemen. Let we me, need a left and a right. Yeah, we'll, we'll get both both stories. But I got to say, because I was going to bring this up, um, this is when I was getting really good. Yes. Like I was, I was getting really good and I was like, I was getting cocky. I was getting confident. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, you know, uh, now I know this is something I want to do. I want to fight. Like I'm good at this. And people rarely caught you and stuff. Right, 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 right. I was, I was getting to a point where nobody was catching me and, uh, (laughs) first round. We go and we're we're grappling, but we're starting standing. Yeah. And I kept shooting on Bo against the wall. Mm-hmm. He guillotined me the first time. And okay, so now I'm like, okay, it's on. It's on. I got I gotta get him down. Shoot in again. Guillot standing guillotines. He wasn't pulling guard. Stand no 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 no, not two times. No. We went at it in that round. And I said, I got mad after the fourth one. They happened. One, two, yes, three, four. Yes, successive. He got me the fourth time. <laughs> well, I thought it was three. No, dude. It was five total. Are I'm you not, sure? I'm not joking. You didn't have a nightmare? And... No. It, okay. it was, it was man. Three. It was. I, I thought it was three, too. No, five. dude. No, no. I thought, it was, I thought when you hit be, three, you were. The, no, three, up. I was vivid. And I started getting mad and shooting and trying even harder. And he got me the fourth time. Then I'm like. This is so fucking stupid. Yada, yada. And Bo's like, come on, man. Calm down. Like, you know, we go for the first time. The fifth one. And you weren't, you weren't down there yet, I don't think. I was. No, I saw him. I saw at least. Were you? The last okay. Yeah. So the fifth one, he got me. 
I'm fucking done. I stormed out of the room, went upstairs. I'm call dad. I'm having him pick me up. I'm fucking done with this shit. I'm not doing it. I remember Keone coming up and having the, like the brother talk with me. Like, really? Like you had one bad day and now you're going to quit. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to fucking quit. I'm fucking done. I'm no good. I had to sit down um, with Eric in the kitchen and basically <laughs> go, don't quit because you got guillotine choked a bunch of times. Like this shit happens. This is the way it is. And that's important because he's he's saying right now that he, uh, even though he was good, even though he had developed this level of proficiency, there was this small random chain of events that, that uh, caused an emotional stimuli that made it more and more likely that he was going to get caught over and over again. And within a matter of minutes, you go from loving this thing to, <laughs> to questioning yeah. whether you should even ever do it again. <laughs> Yep, yep. And uh, Lennox told me the same thing. And I'm going I'm to get Lennox's two cents and have him confirm this story. But as I remember it, he told me after he came over his first night, and me and Eric talked about this, you know, we all thought, oh, my God, this guy's a handful. He's just a, a monster. He's so strong. But he left thinking he might not ever come back, that it wasn't his thing, that he got caught a couple times and, and he had kind of an ego check. And I never knew about that. But think about how many people over the years can say, I was so close to quitting or I, I did quit. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's what makes, you know, looking back with you guys over a decade now and seeing that we've trained and trained and trained and developed as martial artists. It's, it's, uh, we've talked about this, uh, at length, but it's kind of weird to think about where we would be without this oh, yeah. massive influence in our life. Where mm -hmm. would we be? I know I, I, I it's hard to say where, you know, you're going to be, but I definitely would not be in the same place or potentially surrounded by the same people that I am right now without martial arts. Yeah, I would be in a worse spot without a doubt in my mind. Almost undoubtedly yeah. for me as well. Well, I can honestly say I don't know where the fuck I'd be. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. In, you know, uh, in terms of where I'm coming from, uh, most of the people that I know now, with the exception of my brother, don't really know who I was when I was young, but I was not anything like the person that I am now, the person that I am when I was young, I would be ashamed of now. You know, I'm kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm cringy. I'm, and everybody goes through that when they're young. But martial arts, I feel like, delivered me and delivered a lot of people from, uh, you know, a life of potentially regrettable decision making. You know, uh, it, it is a lot like, too, uh, a religion. A, a good friend of mine, Jeremy Higgins, he's a pastor for Calvary Chapel here in town. And he was walking out of the gym one day and he goes, uh, you know, he turns around and he's like, you know, this, this is like a church. And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, just like, you know, the community and the, the, the feeling here and the, the, the place itself. It's like kind of like a church, kind of like a house of worship in a way. Do you guys think that, re that uh, there's not necessarily a, a heavy connection between martial arts and organized religion? But do you think it is kind of like a system of faith or hope? Uh, martial arts a sense of belonging yeah yep like community and tribe and yep. connectivity and such well, well i can tell you i can tell you all the hardships all the hardships that i've been through in my life even recently here the gym without it yeah i like you know i leave the gym i feel so much better every time yeah every single time it's the best um, it's the best medicine really for anything. And that's, you know, this guy, I think we talked about it, um, on our last one. Um, 
I think a lot of people that don't have that 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 getaway or that that out release they they build it they yeah. build it up mm-hmm. and it's not only build stress but people do the some crazy shit because they build it up and they don't they don't have that that release and we were talking about this because a lot of people look at fighters or they look at martial artists like we're we're the guys that have the egos and the problems and we need we need to fuck people up that's not the case it's actually the opposite I get out I get out everything and I you know I've always been a hothead. I've always been very passionate and if somebody pisses me off, you know, I'm I Take can be a little outspoken, yeah. you know. And a little. Uh, right, a lot, <laughs> right? So so having this, man, this is still to this day, 31 years old, it still mellows me out more than anything else will. Mm. You know. So it in a sense, for me, it is it is like a church. In the sense of community, mm-hmm. all the all the people I hang out with, really, aside of like my best friends, like Wes and stuff like mm-hmm. that, the only people I hang out with are training partners. Well, and if you think about it, Wes, uh, shout out to Wes Gast. Wes has fought before. Yeah, Wes. Most people don't know this. Wes uh, is one of Eric's best best friends for years and years and years. And Wes made a bet with Eric once. What, tell them about that bet. It was actually your idea because, uh, yeah, it was. It was Keone's idea. Um, it was, God, what year was that? 2014? It was a while ago. What What was it? 14? It was 2014, 2015. Um, the 49ers were playing the Packers in the playoffs. Yeah. Kaepernick. This is what Kaepernick was. He's a Packer guy, right? And he's a Packer guy. So... We wanted to make a bet. I was I was about I was slated to fight um, uh, Ricardo Lamas in Chicago, and uh, he said, "Okay, if if Packers win, you got to walk out with a cheese head, a cheese yeah. head." Okay. And this is in Chicago. This is Bear Country, right? So this is already. <laughs> I'm gonna piss the crowd off. I don't want to fuck my own psyche up, right? Heel turn. That's yeah. A heel turn. So it's this. Is, I'm like, I go, okay, Wes. Well, that's kind of a a big bet. I don't know what the hell I can come up with that's gonna equal the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I told Keone this, and Keone goes, "Tell him he should train for three months and take a fight." And I'm like, Wes has wrestled before. We we fucked around a lot because. We're friends, and he, I was a fighter, so we'd wrestle, we'd grapple, you know. And uh, I remember telling Wes, thinking there was not a fucking chance he was going to do it. He literally goes, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so it was, and that was it, it was done. Shout out to my Niners, they're killing it right now. And uh, But yeah, they ended up stomping the Packers, so he had to he had to start training. That's when he started training Gorilla, gorilla in the yeah, morning. he started doing... Uh... A, a cardio class at Hard Drive Performance Center that I was doing called Gorilla Cardio Combat. And I'll say this about Wes. <laughs> I remember you telling me when he lost that, like, right when the game was over, Wes went out and started running right away. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Got one on his run. Yeah, yep. That's awesome. It is yep. awesome. So Wes came in, and for what it's worth, dude, Wes worked his ass off. He put in a legit camp. And he, he was shredded. He yeah. was ripped up. He was strong as fuck. And he... He went out there and manhandled that guy. And he did. And here's here's the thing. Wes, Wes didn't even have... He didn't have any stand-up. And he knew that was his. But even watching him work with you, it was like almost watching like Hoist Gracie. 
doing just what he had to Very to efficient. get a hold get a hold yep. of him take him because he was a good wrestler in high school um he was he he went he he placed in state i think uh his senior year and um he took dude down choked him out it was like a minute mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. at the that was was that when you fought yeah at the, yeah yeah i think was it at the colonel it was the same night no, no it, it was a different night we cornered him yeah, yeah 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 it was uh colonel mm-hmm. stadium though yeah and uh but yeah i i mean I thought that was that was crazy as hell. I never thought I never expected him to do it, and he did it like a champ, man. There's a million stories like that too, um, not necessarily like Wes's specifically, but a million interesting stories. Um, Bo, we, we don't have a ton of time, and I don't want to, you know, I want to kind of break it up, talk a little bit about MMA, and give our listeners something interesting to chew on, so we don't put them to sleep. What um, out of training in the basement? What have you gotten out of the relationships that you made there? And um, how has martial arts changed you? Who who is the bow that you are now in uh, comparison to the bow that you were before martial arts came into your life? Yeah. Well, I'd stomp the shit out of him for one. Mm-hmm. Smack him first, maybe. <laughs> um, no, but I mean the physical gains are cheesy. You can't even you can't even quantify them really. But then. And those pale in comparison to the gains psychologically, the gains, you know, mentally and just goal setting wise. Like I said, I went into it with no expectations. I was happy to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, the people kept me in it. Yeah. Having the, the tight knit group that we had um, made me want to come back every day because it was like, okay, I have, I have something I belong to. And I remember when the, you know, you released the t-shirts and it had our names on it. It's mm-hmm. like, this is something, um, you know, that, that gives you a purpose. It yeah. Brother, purpose. Brotherhood yeah. kind of, you know, a sense of community for sure. Well, and you gotta, you gotta think too, cause I remember that when those shirts came out, our tight knit group of guys, cause you, you can look at MMA now and it's more saturated. It's gotten bigger. So now every, a lot of people look. And they, they see, you know, UFC, ESPN, all these fight promotions, and it's MMA's blown up. And they do it because they want to do it for recognition. Yep. For a selfish, they, they want limelight, right? Mm-hmm. Our group didn't do that. Our group there was, no was as raw and as just, we like to do this shit. Yeah, we, we love the process. Right. And because I'm the same as Bo, I, my, my intentions weren't to fight. My intentions were, it was an after school, well, before I dropped out, it was an after school getaway because I, you know, I didn't like school. Um, fight club. Yeah, it was fight club. It was a fight club for me and it was, it was just us, just the homies, you know, um, that was, that was what I'd look forward to every day. That's why we trained every day, sometimes twice a day in the basement because yeah. like that was a getaway and, um. I think we realized how real it was and how passionate we were about it. I think the the fight game came organically. It was it wasn't a we need to test ourselves. I think it just kind of fell into place naturally, the way it should. <laughs> well, Devin really wanted to compete. He started competing right away. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lennox wanted to compete. Mm-hmm. Lennox was really interested in competition right away and he kind of voiced that. And uh I think that the way it really seemed like to me is we were five guys that really, really liked doing this. We were really passionate about 
what this did for us in all these different ways. Um, but once we started seeing teammates compete and compete very successfully and very dominantly, I think everybody, that's when people started going, holy shit, like we're actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then we started surprising ourselves against people that a lot of people said were going to beat us or would hand us our ass. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's going the other way. Um, martial arts uh, has been a huge impact on all of our lives. That's no doubt. And uh, I'm going to, as, as fun as this is, is and is going to continue to be, I'm really excited to get all five of us in a room. Mm-hmm. and to get everybody's uh, feedback because there's a lot of stuff that you guys have both brought up that I totally forgot about. Mm-hmm. Like they, you know, those those memories mm-hmm. slip out of your mind. Yeah. You only keep on so many and I keep mine and you keep yours and you keep yours. But when we talk about those and drum those up, it's so nostalgic to like yeah. hear this shit and go, oh my God, I totally forgot about that, but that actually did happen. Especially, you know, things like McLeod where this little petri dish of interested parties turned into a look at what it's turned into i mean people that uh, follow us or at least know what we do know that this little club in a basement of self-trained athletes is now this huge uh, martial arts gym of uh, people that still are there people that after years and years and years and years people like damien people like brent people like you guys that have been there you know doing this and training this from the very beginning and they're still there mm-hmm. that's incredible yeah. it's a testament to what bo is talking about i think is just that that community and that network i don't like doing anything outside of the gym when i do i like doing it with people that i that i usually train with mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to identify with anybody that doesn't willingly cast themselves into this fire to to temper themselves and come out stronger. You know, that's who I want to surround myself with. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you guys see the Kevin Hart special? No. Is it good? It is good. Uh, the documentary on Netflix just came out that shows about, you know, how he got caught up in infidelity and stuff. The thing that I really liked about it is it reminded me a lot of us. This this little circle or, or crew that he has that's super, super tight, his trainer, all these different people that he kind of backs and they back him. They're super, super, super tight, and I don't want to rate, I don't want to uh, ruin the ending. But Kevin does something super, super generous for all these guys because they've been legit. But the thing that I noticed about his relationships is not all of them are comfortable. He has like his trainer that I forget what they call. I think he calls him boss. This dude's so gangster. Like he's got one of the most high-profile clients in the world, Kevin Hart. Everybody knows Kevin Hart. Yeah, and he's talking crazy shit. And, like, he's late. I don't need people to be late. I need people on time. And, like, there's a lot of trainers out there that would tiptoe around somebody being late. Somebody like Kevin Hart and go, Mm -hmm. hey, who gives a shit? It's Kevin Mm -hmm. Hart. Like, I'm Kevin Hart's trainer. I really had a lot of respect for his trainer for for calling him out. Being like, look, I'm here to make you strong. You're not here. And Kevin Hart pays him because of that. Mm-hmm. He pays him because he's real. He's super, super honest. He does his job. He he's not so you know unauthentic that he's gonna go. Well, uh, well, and I think I, pass. I think when it comes to groups like our group, I mean that's exactly what it is. It doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter. None of that matters in yeah. the gym. Everybody is equal, and that th- there are people that are better than than others and stuff like that. That still doesn't mean that you're above them. Right. I respect, respect. I respect anybody that comes in, open mind, and they train, and they, 
those are people I want to be around with. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people in, just in our society, they're not that social status is a big it's a big influence. It's a big part. And it's it's something the realness. And I know we say it all the time. I think realness is a real it's a real hard thing to rare commodity, you know, and it's I've said this before and I've done it. I've done it on the other podcasts, but people that have higher social status make more money than me. And I've even called them out and been like, there's nothing stopping me from slapping you in the mouth. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Don't like, and, that, and that's the thing, man, in a room, like you, you couldn't stop me if you tried. So, and not, I don't want to say that in a dickish way, but it's, it's real. It's real. And that's where I think people like us gravitate towards each other because, um, it's the environment we want to be in because we know, we know what it's like. Yeah. And I, I think the, the environment itself, right. Uh, breeds in us so much growth that we know what comes, we know how to grow or we at least have some concept of how to grow. And it's not easy. It's usually some painful process that we have to go through to become a better person, a bigger person. The, the gym is kind of a microcosm of that, but it's hard for me to, uh, it's hard for me to identify with, with people that don't want to do this, I guess. Um, not because I necessarily think that I'm above people by any means, but I know that the people, um, at least in the gym at the highest levels, uh, aren't trying to put themselves in, in comfortable positions. Mm. They're, they're trying to get <clears throat> uncomfortable mm -hmm. feedback. They're literally throwing themselves into potential danger at every, at every turn. And I think you develop some level of strength uh, doing that. And uh, a camaraderie with training partners that really can't be matched. You know, like I don't see Devin every day. I don't see uh, even Jesse every day. I don't see you guys every day. But by God, if those five guys aren't happy to see each other every single time, it's like I never even walked away from well, well, not only I that, for how much we've done, right? Yeah. You could have you could have best friends from high school, whatever that lasts your lifetime. In the amount of time that we spent together just training, that creates a different, yeah, a different bond, you know. And I mean, it's you, you hear about it in the military, even back in medieval days, right? The brothers that fight alongside like, you, yeah. like when you when you hear Brent talk about, the you war. know, fighting in war and his brothers that he's you know losing and and he's fighting beside, like you get that genuine, yeah, you know, that feeling, and that's it. there's an intimacy from. Sweating and bleeding, mm -hmm. and breaking with people, mm -hmm. and being there when people are broken and going, "Hey, you're you're not broken. We're still kind of, you know, we're still on this thing." And, and you're doing it together. Yeah, I mean that fighting. Fighting's vicious because when you fight, it is you. It's you out there. Like you don't, you got corners, but it's really just you and another guy. Yeah. But that's not, you know, honestly, I could say, I love fighting, but it's not my favorite aspect. Of martial arts, I like training more. I do too. Training, training, because you still get good work in. You still work on your craft, but you're doing it with friends and you're doing it together. That mm -hmm. that's when it's a team, a team sport. You know. Now that's a good point with a team sport, Bo. I wanted to ask you about this. I love our team. I've always loved our team. I've been loyal to our team. I've got my our team tattooed on me. I always will. But I feel like. In during hybrid faction during this time when you and I, Eric, Devin, Jesse, and a spattering of other people at certain times, 
we're in the thick of this when I feel like it was the truest time I could say when my teammates won, I won. And when my teammates lost, we all lost. And I felt like we didn't lose often. I was talking to Eric about this, but when we did lose, we were like devastated yeah. by it. Yeah. And we, we went out of our way to correct that. What, how do you feel about uh, that perspective, I guess? Uh, the, or the, at least the, the idea that maybe we were... I feel like that was our my closest real team. Like, if I if I belonged to a team that I was a, that was a true team, it was those five guys. Yep. Um, for me, I think just having that that was my first experience. So learning so much um, through you guys showing me shit because I didn't know anything about the ground, nothing. Blank slate. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, no wrestling background to speak of. So just surviving practices, um, getting ground into the into the mat and knowing that I can survive that. Okay, that's the worst that's going to happen mm-hmm. right there. Um, and then having people encourage me after that and be like, you know, we had a, we held each other accountable for mm-hmm. being there. Since it was such a small group, you know, if one or two people were gone, that's going to, you know, it's going to inhibit everything for the people that did show up. Yeah. So we, I think we had, that's what built the brotherhood, I think. Um, and then just finding a level of success as well, being like, okay, we started from nothing and we're able to compete with anybody, anybody they're putting in front of us. Yeah. And it, I think that's significant, especially in your story, because you were not, a huge fan of the ground for quite some time. Hated it. Uh, Every how, time, how long um, would you say you kind of like, you did train on the ground yep. and you weren't bad on the ground, but it was not your preference. Right. Um, so I had that guillotine in my, you know, that was the, my one saving yeah. grace mm-hmm. was that if a wrestler tried to take me down, I usually ended up in a spot where I could threaten a guillotine. And you won some fights that way. Quite yep. A, quite a few, yeah. Yep. Um, but... I always considered myself a, like a stand-up guy. Mm-hmm. You would come down and be like, what do you guys want to do? Me and Eric would be like, stand, stand up, up with takedowns. takedowns. Mm-hmm. Yep. Stand up with takedowns. Pride rules. And, and <laughs> yeah, and I wanted, I liked the stand-up aspect of it so much. I thought about going, I remember mentioning it, mentioning it to you guys, going into a boxing gym. Mm-hmm. And Lennox kind of steered me away from it because he'd had the experience already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a good one. Right. So, yeah, I don't think that the ground really... Like, I really embraced the ground aspect of it until I started having some success um, in fights, actually. Mm-hmm. I considered myself a stand-up fighter pretty much my entire MMA career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's funny because you ended a lot of fights quick. Yeah. With your, and, and now, that I think the reason that this story is significant is because you didn't really see yourself as a ground fighter. And then years later, you would become a national champion in, in pure jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Not, not like MMA jiu-jitsu, but pure jiu-jitsu. Um, while we're talking about that, what's the difference that you can uh, identify? Because you started like I started, like Eric started in MMA, and then you transitioned more towards sport jujitsu after you were done with your MMA career. What are the the differences between the two of those different uh, sports? Um, well, you're not getting cracked in the face when you uh, pretty do just jujitsu. <laughs> yeah, pretty significant. Um, I feel like. After you've done MMA, walking into a jiu-jitsu match um, is always going to be a little bit easier. 
Mm-hmm. You know, people call it a jujitsu fight. Let's be honest. It's let's be honest. It's yeah. a jujitsu match. Call it what it is. <laughs> you know, even even boxing, you can't in your right mind call that a call fight it a anymore. fight. No, right, you can't. And a lot of jujitsu. Here's the thing about the fight, the jujitsu fight controversy. A lot of jujitsu athletes um, or grapplers call their matches fights, and there seems to be a big controversy about it. But it seems like it's more from the jujitsu guys. <laughs> it seems like they're they're more staunchly defending their quote unquote ability to call it a fight. Well, everything's a fight, really. Uh, well, okay, but if you haven't been punched in the fucking mouth, you don't really know what a fight is, and that's pretty significant i'm gonna let my brother yeah, weigh yeah in yeah. on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he looks so, like he has something to say <laughs> yeah and you know i've got into it i've got into it with some jujitsu you know practitioners. You don't say. <laughs> yeah so i've got into it and even recently and i love jujitsu i love it I, really most of my wins finishes are subs or submissions they are now that that being said We've got a why do why is jujitsu as big as it is? MMA, MMA, mm-hmm. fighting, fighting is as big as it is. With Greece. So so and here's the thing: jujitsu is getting really popular. There's a lot more gyms. UFC is getting bigger. MMA is getting bigger, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that consort with jujitsu think that they're fighters. They yeah, do. They make an association. They make an association yeah. with it, right? And like I said, I love jujitsu, right? I love kickboxing, right? But just like Bo said, boxing, kickboxing really isn't a fight. Right. A fight is if, if it happens on the street, are there rules? No. No. MMA is the closest thing to what would be in a street fight. Yeah. So Especially back then. Right, back then. right. And, and, you know, I don't – there's a bunch of humble people that do jujitsu. And when I'm done with my fight career, what am I going to do? Jujitsu. I'm going to compete in jiu-jitsu. And I think it's, we should also mention, there's a ton of people that do jiu-jitsu that are like, I would never do MMA. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I recognize, jiu-jitsu is an amazing form of self-defense. And there's a lot of jiu-jitsu practitioners that will openly admit, hey, yeah, that shit, like, that's just, I'm not interested in that. Mm-hmm. Sport jiu-jitsu is a good, is a good enough uh, example of competition for me. But there's a growing number of jiu-jitsu um, athletes that are suffering from douchebaggery mm-hmm. and they think that they're the next Conor McGregor and they think that because they have a purple belt they can they can fight they can automatically fight it's the same kind of concept of the we've seen numerous times the cocky new wrestler that yeah. comes in and thinks because they're involved in a, in a very tough sport that they're going to do fine well some of them do fine and some of them take some punches of them gets, fine yeah and then some of them get punched and forget years of wrestling Mm-hmm. With one punch. Or get submitted over and over and over. Exactly. And we've seen that with even uh, MMA athletes that submit black belts. They shouldn't submit. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, uh, your teammate, Anthony Pettis, is a good reason why. He punches them first. Yeah. He beats them up. Yeah. Well, and Anthony's jiu-jitsu game is awesome. Yes. But but a lot of a lot of his submissions, people are so afraid to get hit by him. Because mm-hmm. he's so dangerous, makes openings. It's it's the transition. That's what MMA's become. MMA's no longer you're really good at this style. There's not very many people that have one style now that can do that shit. Yeah. That it just it's not it's not how the game works. Even if you look at guys like 
Charles Oliveira, who's got the most subs in in UFC history right now, as of right now, he's knocking dudes out too. Mm-hmm. His striking's really, really good. Yes. So, so you know, they, they are different. That that's not putting a slight. I love kickboxing. I love box. I love all the arts individually, and I respect all of them. But I think, especially coming from where we come from, we started fighting. We know fighting is chaotic and it's crazy mm-hmm. so when we do get someone of some discipline thinking that their shit doesn't stink and they can run their mouth i'm gonna say something yeah in there <laughs> you know? i think sport jiu-jitsu i think a big issue with uh that we're dealing with now sport jiu-jitsu is getting big enough there's an influx of money into it so there's jiu-jitsu athletes that want to they want to play the conor mcgregor role mm-hmm. well you're never I, I don't know if jiu-jitsu will ever be so big maybe it will i hope it is where uh, they're going to be pulling Connor like numbers or whatever. Right, right. So it, it's kind of cringy to yeah. see uh, sport specific athletes kind of uh, presenting this argument that they, because they do jujitsu, they can automatically fight. The same applies to not only jujitsu, but really any other sport. And it seems like now that jujitsu's popularity has went up, and this could be solely my perception. I, f- I feel like I'm seeing more sport jiu-jitsu athletes that are kind of smug and, and kind of not representative of the humility that I feel like we had beaten into us mm-hmm. in MMA. We, we've known some people along the years, and we don't need to talk about them. We might talk about them when we get everybody around, but that have seemingly had a, a life's epiphany or change just by the level of ass whooping that they got on one particular day. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm seeing more and more jujitsu athletes walk around with their chin up and their chest out acting like a fighter, mm-hmm. but not actually wanting to be a fighter. Right. Not actually wanting to take the shots. What do you guys think about that? Is that just my perception or is, is are we seeing what I expected 20 years ago, the watering down of, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the quote-unquote foot fist way uh, well, uprising in the sport itself. Well, well, it got a kind of because I agree. There's a lot of these smug people. You know, the the bigger jiu-jitsu gets, and that's with anything. You know, you're gonna sure. get. It. And like I said, jiu-jitsu got big because of fighting. So there's a correlation there because we use jiu-jitsu in fighting. So they associate with it. Um, but I think it's it's kind of ironic that the bigger it is, you know, we're getting these smug guys. And I know, I know people even of gym in town. You know, they jujitsu. They're walking around, you know. And I'm just like, it, it's cringy. It is. It's cringy. And I'm like, jujitsu, like jujitsu in itself, is a martial art. Yes. When I did taekwondo, there was no smug. We, we you know, we bowed, we respected each other, and we we did our thing. Even at tournaments, I'm not huffing and puffing with my chest out, you know. It's a martial art. Fighting, MMA is a combination. We use a bunch of different martial arts, but fighting is fighting. Yeah. Fighting, there's a different mentality to fighting. So they don't, they're not the same. They're they're not. So when you you see really smug people like that in the the sports jujitsu world, um, it's as simple as, all right, well then take a fight. If you're if you're this smug and you think your shit doesn't stink, then you should be confident enough to go into a fight. I would like to see um, cross promotions. I would like to see MMA athletes do a jiu-jitsu competition, mm-hmm. pure sport, <laughs> and then flip the script. 
mm-hmm. and see how it see how it translates. I don't see a lot of people begging for that scenario or no. that match. No, Bo, what do you think about this? What we're talking about? Do you see it, or are we just kind of so, arrogant? Martin yeah, I mean, I don't feel like I don't see it a lot, but I'm not that active on social media. You know, I kind of choose, mm-hmm. pick and choose um, what I'm looking at, and if I'm looking at jujitsu stuff, it's usually going to be an instructional that someone put up. So I'm not paying that much attention. And I don't watch a whole lot of, not as much as you would think, sport Mm jujitsu. It's more instructionals and picking up little tidbits here and there rather than watching it for a pastime. Right. Um, But I think people at the highest level that I've come across are, um, have been pretty humble. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think, I I think the, the highest level for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, the people that I consider elite in the world are, by a result of their eliteness, humble because they've usually trained with sharks and they've had their day in the on the mat too. I think what the moron I'm talking about is kind of the uh, the the standout regional guy. There's that we have these guys in MMA too, where their their goal isn't to get super big. It's not to compete against you know the Gordon Ryan's or the the Gary Tonins or these guys. They want to be really, really good at jujitsu, and they want to entertain this. Uh, at least this is what I've seen, and this isn't everybody, but they're definitely out there. They want to entertain this uh, idea or this delusion that they are somehow a fighter without actually fighting. And that's weird because fighters don't pretend to be elite sport jujitsu players. Right, no, that's true. Yeah. And a lot of them get subbed, and they'll, they'll willingly get subbed to try, and they'll mm-hmm. be humble about it, but... Um, I don't see the same thing in res- in response. I don't see jiu-jitsu fighters uh, or jiu-jitsu athletes going, I want to test myself in MMA because they know it's such a, you know, it is a very different platform. So what's it, what was the difference between you and jiu-jitsu? You mentioned that um, the, the stress level obviously isn't there when mm-hmm. you don't have somebody bringing violence. But even competing on a higher level, like a national level, what was the difference between competing there and in an MMA? Um... Not cutting weight. That was a good. That was a good thing. I I wasn't cutting weight at all for jujitsu. So that part of the equation, I cut a lot of weight. You know, I fought towards the end of my my last um, six or seven fights when I was really taking it seriously. Um, right? Was at fifty five, and that was a significant cut for me. Usually walking around at one eighty. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now I might be closer to one ninety, but yeah, but you're <laughs> um, comfortable. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so not cutting weight and then, um, not having really, you know, the level of anxiety is just so much lower and then bringing things, um, from MMA to my jujitsu game. I feel like so many things from my guard, I'm a, I'm a huge guard player come from, um, practicing with strikes, tying up an arm, grabbing an overhook, um, People have always talked about my head control. Like, yeah, my neck hurts really bad because I was going rounds with Bo. I'm controlling people's heads because I know if I don't, I was getting punched in the face back in the day. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lennox was posturing up on me and raining down punches. Yeah. He was nice about it, but he was still raining down Lennox punches. Letting you know. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there were tangible things from a physical aspect that, that I'm still able to bring to jiu-jitsu from MMA. Um, but I, I think that, um, it's an, it's a natural progression too. You know, as Eric was saying, when he gets older, he's going to compete in jujitsu and, and focus more on jujitsu. So I feel like the longevity is there. 
Um, I was suffering a lot of neck things, even getting hit with a little jab. Yeah. I would get stingers mm-hmm. um, from from just the grind. Yeah. Um, I think the wear and tear on your body overall in jiu-jitsu is a lot less than, than MMA. Yeah, but it is underrated even sometimes. It is. People, it is. We do take wear and tear in jiu-jitsu, and it's a physical sport, just like wrestling or, or kickboxing or whatever, you're going to take damage. Um, well, cool. I want to get back uh, with you, Bo, when we get all the guys. I'm hoping I can get Debo uh, next week. I want to get Lennox the week after that, and then I want to get us all together for a, a go-around. A cu- couple quick segments. Uh, your guys' thoughts on, uh, we're going to do a little bit a different thing this time, and we're going to go into some other subjects. So uh, let's talk about uh, Cowboy and Cerrone. Or, <laughs> Cowboy and Cerrone. Uh, it's obviously. <laughs> McGregor and Cerrone. Uh, Bo, how do you think that fight plays out? Well, I'm a huge McGregor fan. I'm a huge Cerrone fan, too. Um, I think if, it, if the fight ends early, it'll be because Cerrone got knocked out. I, I feel like the first two rounds especially, and we know Cerrone's a slow starter. So yes. I think that, you know, those first two rounds definitely play in Connor's advantage. I think he's got more knockout power, not that Cerrone can't starch someone too. You've seen it. Yeah. Um, recently, you know, neither one of them will be cutting weight, so there's, they're both going to have more power. We haven't seen Connor respond really well to someone, you know, in the later rounds at even at 170. The later rounds um against Diaz didn't go as well for him. Um so I've got Connor. I would say Connor Connor wins knockout second round. Bro, what do you think? So I think um I think it's a tailor made matchup for Connor. Um I think Cowboy Cowboy has a hard time with southpaws. Um that angle a lot, RDA, Anthony, um, uh, Darren Till, all those guys southpaws, and they all finished him. Um, I think Cowboy has a hard time with southpaws. I think um, kind of what Bo was saying, first to about midway through second round, I think Connor's going to try and finish him. And I, I am picking Connor to win by knockout in either the first or early into the second. That being said, I do think it's a favor for Cowboy for it being at 170. I don't think he should have went down to 55. Cowboys are, they say Connor, for I think it's uh, advantage for Cowboy at 170. I think his frame is bigger at 70. Um, the only guys that have given him problems at 70 are usually bigger, bigger guys. Um, Connor's not going to be bigger. Um, I think. I think that plays better for for uh, Cowboy. Um, also, if you look, if you look, and this is getting into the nitty gritty. If you look at Connor now, he's put on a lot of upper body, yeah, a lot of size, and that'll help with power. But I think his speed might suffer, and I think um, we've seen it in a lot of fights. He tires out when he can't put somebody away. Um, so I think if it goes in the third round, I could see Cowboy taking it. Um, also I think Cowboys wrestling is underrated when he's wanted to implement and take people mm-hmm. down. He's mm-hmm. done it. He's, I think he's going to be bigger. He's going to be stronger at 170, I think. Um, and if he takes, if he takes, uh, Connor down, I think he could sub him yeah. pretty easily. So, um, I, I still, I, Connor is a master at the angle game. His, his timing, um, uh, his positioning, especially being a southpaw, he knows that. I mean, he's made a career off starching people with his left hand. 
and um, the way Cowboy fights really, really tall, and he's not really active on his feet, I think I think Connor will catch him. Catch him. But I, but like I said, I I don't think it's a for sure thing. Um, I think uh, if Cowboy plays it right and actually starts clenching him up, grinding, take him down, um, I give Cowboy the advantage. But I'm g- giving a slight edge to to Connor. Yeah, I think. I agree with you guys. I think that if it goes into the later rounds, it favors Cowboy. Um, early, it's Connor. Uh, I, I want to believe that Cowboy is training his ass off for this fight because he's going to win it and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be a really good fight to retire on if he goes yeah. out and beats Connor and just retire. Uh, great win, uh, good opponent. Uh, it, it's hard to say. I think if Cowboy came over and did exactly what you said, clinched up right away, got in his face, started wearing him down, and then put those awkward switch combinations together mm-hmm. where Cowboy is really, really good about throwing like a three-piece punch combo and sticking a kick in awkward places. Yeah. Places that most people mm-hmm. don't expect to be. He did it when he knocked out Rick Story. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he did it to Ellenberger as well. Um, Hernandez, I think he knocked him out with Yeah. Him. Yeah. Yeah, with the head kick. Um. So I think that if he if he really brings it now, Bo brings up the important point of the slow starter. This is where Anthony Pettis was able to victimize him a little bit by getting on him right away early and going to the body and the southpaw stance mm-hmm. fucked with him a little bit. Um, I think Connor has uh, a likelihood, but since you guys both picked uh, Connor, <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and go with Cowboy, and I'm gonna say uh, he is going to get he'll daze Connor late. Stun him and sub him on the ground. That's I mean, I could. I and could if see he did and he retired and put his gloves in the cage, it'd be fucking sick. Well, Cowboy's got more fights than he anybody. does. It's crazy. And um, you know, maybe he still wants to go for the title, and that's cool. But if he hung it up there uh, with a win against Connor, I think it'd be a pretty cool deal. Cowboy's clinch game too. Um, his tie clinch. Yes. I hadn't really thought that much about that till you guys were talking about the clinch. Um, he hurt. He's hurt people with body shots, knees with his knees. Yeah. He, he can get knees to the head pretty easy. You the know? the only thing that's going to be, it's a it's a risky game because Connor is so good with his space, yeah, and his timing. It's I personally the the way I think he should do it. I think he should play high guard. I think he should he should. Be a little bit lighter on his feet. If you watch the Khabib fight, Khabib did great. What what Mayweather did? Mayweather fought uh, Connor a way he's never fought anybody else, and he used that high Mexican guard. He yeah. he Connor threw a lot of punches, tried to get him out there, and a lot most of them didn't land effectively, and it ended up wearing him out. I think he's got to wait till later to engage the clinch. I think if he tries to rush the clinch early, he's going to get clipped. Yeah. So, um it's 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 it it's crazy cuz Connor is his his timing and his space, his footwork, he's very agile on his feet. I think it's going to be hard to catch Connor with a kick early. Connor's very very knowledgeable, he's very light. Good range, yeah. I, I think I think you know, even though Cowboy's a slow starter, I think he needs to play Pick his shots, kick from the outside, but play high guard, and um, try not to rush into anything stupid. Anybody that fights Connor and tries to press him with with wild aggression are the people that get Especially clipped. Especially early, because he's good with timing. Because he's t- good with timing, and he hits like a truck. He hits hard. His precision's on point. 
So if you if you look at the Khabib fight, Khabib didn't press right away. He played high guard, light on his feet, made Connor miss, started wearing him out. Yep. Then then when 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 Connor because Connor's always moving in the first round. When his when his movement stops and he starts plotting and looking for that counter, that's where he got caught with Khabib with the overhand. Yeah. You know, so I think it's Connor. Connor's a weird dude because people think, oh, you got to pressure him, you got to pressure him. You do, but you got to do it in a strategic way. I don't think I don't think Cowboy should rush trying to clinch because I think he'll get clipped. Well, at that and at that level, that could be the case pretty much for anybody, right? Like mm-hmm. you make one mistake, a millimeter, and it's yeah. all over. Um, all right, so last opinion, guys. Um, current events. The United States, uh, by what is seemingly an executive order by President Trump, uh, commits a drone strike uh, on, I, I believe, in Bag- Baghdad Airport against an Iranian general, general um, by all accounts, a pretty bad guy. Uh, the, the rumor is on the proverbial streets... <laughs> Is that this guy was planning to attack an American embassy? Um, I have many people online uh, on Twitter and Facebook ensuring me this is the case, although I have not seen any real physical evidence, and I've been told that you know it's probably classified, so I'm never going to get that evidence. I'd like to hear your guys, both your guys' thoughts briefly uh, about this situation, and just knowing what you know about it, and. Uh, how you feel about it, and if you think it's the right course of action. Bo, what do you think? Well, I think that we are going to hear about it in a negative light more so than we would if we had another president. I think that the media is going to grab it in such a way. And again, I don't know enough about it um, to really comment one way or another on if if it should have taken place. Mm -hmm. Um, But like you were saying before we started recording... um, it is an act of war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think, bro? So, you know, and I just made a little post. It wasn't towards anything. I was just kind of like, well. I did too, but people got mad. But people got mad. And that's that's the thing. That's how you Fill know. Fill me in on that part. That's, that's. So, so I made, I'll, before, bro, I'll tell my, I yeah. just made a post saying opinion. Opinion. I think I saw it. We should not assassinate foreign leaders unless we have been approved to do so with an act of war or a declaration of war by Congress. Uh, Committing acts of assassination against foreign leaders only puts American troops and citizens in further danger. That was my post. That pissed people off. There was... uh, You can read it, but when you say something like that, just and I even said opinion, I tried to not use Democrat, Republican, Mm -hmm. Crips, Bloods, any of that shit. (laughs) Um... And people still found a way to try and paint me as an un-American person. And that's, that's I, can't, I think that's kind of where we're at. So what, what post did you make, bro? So I made a post because I just retweeted, you know, 3,000 troops getting getting uh, shipped out Oh, there. yeah, because um, there's 3,000 troops going out there, right? Yep, right now. Well, I thought yeah. killing the general was going to prevent that, that type of thing. Hmm? I thought them killing the general was going to prevent right, us right, getting... Right, right, right. So... And this was, this was my argument, and I didn't argue with the guy, but the guy's like, I'm t- he's like, dude, this is a good thing. This this guy, this guy was a bad dude, and he's not, no, one of the number one terrorists. Yeah, yeah. Now this just goes back, not even getting into all the you know what History. was it right or whatever. When you do something like that, right, 
a lot, I feel like a lot of people, and I think America does a good job of telling people, oh, they're so bad. They need to, they need to go. They did this, that. Fear mongering. Now, fear mongering. And it's, it's, I'm not saying that they're not bad people and there are people that need to be iced, but it's, it's on a bigger level than that. When you kill, when you assassinate a leader like that, Mm -hmm. are you meaning to tell me there's no one else? That's never been the case in the history of the world. You can't stop terror with terror. It doesn't work. So what's going to happen is even if they're not the majority, you're going to piss people off mm-hmm. and they're going to do the same damn thing that this guy was doing. There's always going to be that bad guy. Mm-hmm. So the argument is, oh, he needed to be taken out. Well, now we're already sending out 3,000 troops and tensions are already we high were, now. We were told that we needed to kill this guy so that we wouldn't have to intervene. In anything for it, you know what I mean? Then right. we wouldn't need military right. action, and now we're doing it. Um, here's here's the way I feel about it. Uh, I think that Iran is a pretty deplorable country when it comes to human rights. We have family friends, the Hosseinis, mm-hmm. who ran through the Iranian mountains in the middle of the night because a friend of theirs told them that the military was coming for them the next day. Yeah. The Hosseinis are the Hosseinis are Baha'is, and they were um, facing religious persecution in Iran from the Ayatollah Khomeini. And at the time, they were hanging Baha'is and Christians um, in Iran. Uh, and so, the interesting thing about this is people will look at that fact, right, and they'll go, "We'll see, Iran is evil." And what they won't do is look back in history and read that. In 1953, the CIA overthrew the Iranian government and replaced uh, the Iranian government with the Shah, replaced, mm-hmm. the, replaced the government system in a coup, a uh, covert coup, replaced them with essentially a yes man uh, that we put in place to run it, uh, run the country the way we wanted. The people were pissed off. They revolted. They overthrew him and elected an Islamic uh, fundamentalist, mm-hmm. an extremist, the Ayatollah. Because we have been meddling in Iranian affairs for fifty, you know, fifty or sixty years, it comes as no surprise that they're pissed at us a little mm-hmm. bit. We've been, we have been fucking with Iran for sixty or seven years, sixty or seventy years, and the truth is, they've never attacked us a single time. We have helped Iraq fight Iran. We actually helped Saddam Hussein, the guy that we said was the bad guy. We helped him when it favored us in Iran. Mm-hmm. We supplied him with training and weapons. Till it was unpopular. Mm-hmm. We've been screwing with Iran for decades. And ju- just up to recently, before the last election, I heard a guy say literally, we should, this, we've heard this before, mm-hmm. we should turn the whole Middle East into a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like an American thing to say. Mm-hmm. I bet people love us now. Um, so now we've, we fly a, an unmanned Terminator drone, which is a conversation for another podcast entirely. <laughs> We have Cyberdyne systems via the U.S. military dropping a bomb next to an airport. Now, this is the question I ask. Let's flip the script. A Russian government says, we have intelligence that says a United States general has committed acts that have led to the deaths of hundreds of Russians, and we need to commit a drone strike against this general right outside of Chicago O'Hare Airport. 
What would happen? What would we do? An absolute immediate onslaught War. of military. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The reason that we would do that is because we could do that. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we did what we did the other day is because nobody's going to do shit about it. Mm-hmm. And that's bullying. And my argument against this is this country was founded on a non-interventionist principle because we had to fight for our independence from an evil empire. Now, I think that the the modern-day United States has much more in common with empirical England than it has with colonialists or colonists that decided to revolt. mm -hmm. You had people that were principled enough uh, in what they believed in to offer their lives, right? Now you have uh, bureaucrats and yes-men and puppets um, and people like Donald Trump that will willingly cast... American troops into danger, and I'll explain how in a minute minute for the people that are like, oh, he used a drone. He'll immediately cast these troops into danger, and never once will he have to face this danger himself. Nope. Never once will Bush, never once will Obama. Nope. Never once will these big figurehead puppets that are now executing, they're not even getting congressional approval, They're, they're just making life and death decisions, and they never have to dodge bullets. But if you say anything about this, if you call into question this airstrike and say that it's un-American, somehow, some way, since 9-11, we have to be convinced now that we hate the military. Yeah. And there's even members of the military that pipe up and go, how could you, Trump, the other day I heard this guy go, uh, somebody said, who are you voting for? Next election. Whoever, whoever supports the United States military. Well, what if they're a tyrant? Yeah. What if they're the next Hitler? Yeah. Are you going to support them just because they say they support the United mm-hmm. States military? I feel like the climate in the United States is uh, incredibly ignorant, and I, maybe that's pompous and arrogance of me to say, but like I pay attention. Yeah. I pay attention to the people I vote for, and what I've learned in the last uh, you know, 12, 16 years of voting or whatever is that they're all full of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they never say what they're going to... They, ne- they, they spend four years promising a bunch of shit that they don't do. Obama was really no different than that. Um, I voted for him with high hopes. He came in as the uh, the anti-Bush. He mm-hmm. killed it. Mm-hmm. I voted for him, and then I paid attention. And while everybody was like, "Oh, look at Obama! He, you know, he's doing the Sweet Sixteen. He's such a cool, hip president," I was watching his policies and his mm-hmm. record. And he was saying, "I'm not going to drone bomb anybody." And then he drone bombed more people. Mm-hmm. And then he said, "I'm going to close Guantanamo." Then he didn't. Mm-hmm. Then he said he was going to legalize uh, cannabis and end the drug war because it was a war against minorities. And then three or four weeks later, he said the White House has no plans to change a position on cannabis. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's hope well, and change, but it's not real. Well, and even even you know when you get certain military people that have been in the military, and they, I'm not in the military, and I know I know people that are in the military that are completely against it, um, but. How you control an army of people is brainwashing. It's brainwashing. It's brainwashing, right? right? And if, people if, in the military have told us that. Right, right. If if you sit if you sit back and 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 you look at it, you're a yes man. Yeah, just what you said. The people making the the decisions, they don't they don't give a shit about you. No, it's it's all you know. It's all you know what agenda that they're trying to get going. And on on top of it, this goes to this gets into politics. It blows my mind when we can have a talk like this. And this is kind of these are like facts. People will, will admit even people that are that are voting and they think somebody is truly going to help or, or change every, anything. It still comes down to well politics are corrupt. People have accepted you just can't do anything about right, it. Right, you so can't do try. anything about it. So now 
we're at a point now where people vote for the lesser of two evils. They don't even, they don't, and they won't hide that. They'll be like, well, I still think this person is better. Hillary and Trump. Right. You know, like people think, like even if I'd say something about Trump, they automatically thought I was for Hillary. I'm like, hell no. Yeah. I'm not for either of them. Somebody, somebody <laughs> said because I was against this drone strike today that I was, uh, they made the comment that, that today more than ever, uh, left-leaning liberals care more about uh, Iranian generals than they do American safety. That's what somebody it's, said. It's extreme to me. Well, I mean, and this goes back. We've had this talk a bunch. The political system: blue, red, Crips, Bloods, Democrat, Republican. One extreme, another extreme. Mm-hmm. That's what they do, and they do that, and it divides people. People, and that's why a lot of people have a hard time thinking for themselves because they think this is the system, and it's got to be one against the other. And that's why we're we're still at this stagnant standstill where everybody's fighting. It's it's the oldest trick in the book, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. It's weird to me though that I can have a position that is one that keeps our troops safe, that looks out for their best interests, that doesn't recklessly go into war. I can say the decision by Donald Trump or whoever to assassinate a foreign leader, regardless of whatever he was doing, mm-hmm. unless he's got his finger on a button that's going to blow up Baltimore or something, or he's in the process of trying to execute somebody, or he's storming the embassy, unless you intervene or you have proof of guilt, people are supposed to, in a just society, have trial and due process. Yeah. That's what separated the United States from terrorist regimes. Mm-hmm. We don't torture people. We used to not torture people. Right. But now we're flying un- unmanned drones and we're, we're, we're hitting these quote-unquote terrorist targets, but we're also blowing kids to pieces. Mm-hmm. That's all happening on our dime. Collateral. And when, you, when I make the, the statement that I don't support uh, an assassination on anybody without a trial, without due process under the law, and people automatically label me some kind of terrorist sympathizer... Mm-hmm. What does that tell you? I had a guy tell me today, in not so many words, that I should just not worry about it because there's no way we can have all the facts, so I should just let it go. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, shit, okay. Well, fuck. I don't yeah. have to worry about little kids getting killed with my taxpayer dollars? Okay, mm-hmm. oh yeah, no problem. I'll just do that then. It's, it's really weird to me that just by me having an opinion, there's an insinuation that because I don't agree with Trump or our Senate or whoever that I hate the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is like that's the p- most pussy ass shit. You got these guys that are like, you need to deport Kaepernick. You got guys mad about a professional athlete taking a knee, but they're not mad about the unnecessary deaths of over a million people in the last twenty years in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. They 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 think that that's okay. Why? Because they don't have to see it. Mm-hmm. I bet that if the the evening news during the Iraq War saw some of the pictures that I saw those GIs bring back, remember John? There would be yeah, there would be a public eye, the the videos and the pictures I wasn't supposed to see. I talked about that with this guy today. Like, don't patronize me, motherfucker. I know what was going on over there, and I know that there were there were troops over there doing good things and trying to be helpful. I also know that I remember recounting or having recounted to me. Uh, uh, an experience where somebody there had to fill a minivan full of 50 caliber rounds and they later found out it was a panicked family trying to get through a checkpoint. That shit happened all the time. Mm -hmm. We don't have to see that. But don't try painting this 
fucking picture of how we're the hero and the, we're the great well, and it's just, We shouldn't have even been in Iraq in the first it's, place. It's, it's as simple as, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's easy to say that shit here, yeah. right? But when you, and it is different. When you see, when you see real life shit like that, it, if that were to happen here, like you said, what the fuck would we do? If if something like on the scale of the Iraq War happened, we'd be dropping nukes. Well, look oh, at yeah. look at nine eleven. Right, nine eleven happens. Horrible tragedy. Uh, almost four thousand American citizens lost their lives. Over the next fifteen years, a million Iraqis died. Mm-hmm. How do you quantify that? Yeah. How do you justify any kind of war on terror? How do you say that you're going to entertain a war on terror by murdering over the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people? That it doesn't it doesn't even come close to balancing out. And when you're talking about standing on a moral high ground or being the policeman for the world, which the America that I grew up in, that was not a good thing. Yeah. But if you're going to do that, how are you going to say the res- my response for a terrorist attack by Saudis is to declare war on Iraq, uh, destabilize the entire region, create insurgencies all over the place, find no chemical weapons whatsoever, take 10 years to go find Osama bin Laden, and that's okay because we're killing terrorists. We're creating terrorists. We've yep. been creating terrorists for decades over there. But nobody wants to talk about it mm-hmm. because it's un-American. Well, and then it's, then it's on to the next. Yeah. Oh, oh we, we killed... Say, I was just going to say, any topic that you bring up, the general topic or the general public brings up any topic it's so polarizing now yeah as soon as you say something the opposing view is going to find a way to silence the opposition and how do they do that in this case it's calling you un-american in another case in you know if you say something about transgenders playing sports then they're going to silence you by saying by making these topics um so taboo yeah. That you can't even bring them up. You can't get a good conversation generated because everyone's going to be, because it's so polarizing. You're on one side or the other. You fit on team A or team mm-hmm. B. People yep. are so entitled now that they feel the right to be offended by something. Yeah. Well, well, and it, we're living in a, in a, in a country now. It's as ridiculous as this. And I was reading an article cause they, they did some March near the white house. And this just shows that, like Bo was saying, it's a click. It's a clicky. Everybody wants to be a part of a group, right? There's a group of people that were gay that transferred back to straight that are against gays. Oh, yeah, I heard about them. Now people are just trying to come up with whatever they can the most ridiculous things ever they're they're it's not even now they're not even anti they're not just anti-gay they're making themselves a group of known gays that turn straight that are now against gays and that's that i mean it's getting ridiculous is it is it that people i have a theory on that and why everybody's offended i feel like people have absolutely no fulfillment we're at a time in human history where there's a overwhelming majority of a lack of fulfillment connection Mm -hmm. and entitlement and i think that uh 
this leads to people creating their own group or trying to fit into something, anything that they can because they have no sense of identity. So yep. they just create an identity. Mm-hmm. And they, they almost enforce other people to play along in this kind of charade of, oh, I'm different and this is who I'm going to be now. And I've seen this even with like younger kids. Like, mm-hmm. come on, come on. Well, you got, you got, you got, I was also reading uh, another thing. You, you had a, a parenting couple that uh, came out and said that their their daughter at four years old is a boy. Is yeah. a, is a is a transgender now? Yeah, it identifies and, as a boy, right? No, you like you're you. It's a four year old. You don't even know. It's a four year old. They don't know who they are. Right. They're not. They they're developing. When I was four years old, I didn't even know what the hell was going on. <laughs> but I needed to put on a dress. Didn't mean I wanted to cut my dick off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm well, there's somebody who's going to be offended by. Yeah, that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, sorry. No, I'm it's not it's, sorry. it's it's logic. <laughs> it's logic. Your child it's, is four. Yeah, you just he just yeah. stopped shitting his pants. I don't think you can quite decide what is going to surgically happen to his genitalia. Yeah, thanks though. Yeah, we're all set. Um, guys, we're at an hour and a half and we started this at midnight cause I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So, um, we're hoping that we got the audio that we wanted, Bo. I want to thank you for staying up late and hosting us. We'll be back. Um, hoping next week we'll hit up Devin and me and Eric are going to get some of the buffer. Um, provided my country hasn't destabilized the entire region, I'm going to be going to Israel in February. Uh, now I have to stress out about that opportunity being taken away. Uh, opportunities uh, are there they abound in America but uh, it makes me wonder at what cost they abound in America for people outside of America so thanks guys for listening thanks Bo thanks brother I appreciate it Um, we'll be back and uh, thank you guys for watching we'll see you soon this podcast was made possible by Gail and Douglas Koch and the family hard drive music courtesy of Mike Chino (laughs) Thank you.